Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. The program is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are available from both the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites. Welcome to Freedom of Species. My name is Kate Gracie, and I'm joined in the studio by Elio Cellotto of the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses, or CPR for short. It's good to have you back in the studio, Elio. Thank you. So the 7.30 report on the ABC broadcast a really shocking expose just last month of the thousands of champion racehorses that are slaughtered in abattoirs every year. And I found it a gruelling and relentless expose to watch 50 minutes you warned me it was it was an ordeal to get through i'm wondering has this changed anything for your campaign elio for the campaign of the coalition for the protection of racehorses seemed like a game changer to me but is it business as usual for you and your cpr volunteers well certainly it did um expose the underbelly of the racing industry something that we've always known about and uh, that expose has, has certainly made people aware of what really happens to our racehorses once they leave the racing industry. And since it was aired now um, two weeks ago, uh, it's been non-stop. Our phones have uh, been going off non-stop. We've had uh, emails. I can't even... I've got no idea how many emails we've been sent by people concerned about racehorses and and certainly the media has been all over it and we're just really glad and happy that finally the the racehorses story is being told Um, and uh, hopefully we'll see some dramatic changes occur in the racing industry in the future. Are you getting those emails and phone calls from the industry themselves? Are are they responding in a positive way or in a um, defensive way? Well, the racing industry for the last couple of years uh, it's, haven't really wanted to deal with us at all. In fact, some of our emails to Racing Victoria, Racing New South Wales and Racing uh, Australia, um, uh, our emails are blocked and we have to use other emails. Um, and we think that uh, that's because they're wary of you know what we're trying to achieve and they refuse to work with us. Um, and that is why we have, we, we, you know, we, we're in a position where we, um, uh, where people are frustrated, and uh, that's what re- has resulted is this investigation that has revealed the industry for what it is, and that's basically a callous and cruel industry that has very little respect for the horses that re- relies upon to exist. Now I want to go back through some of those main revelations from that ABC show, the Seven Thirty Report, which you featured heavily in as a primary interviewee. So it was claimed on the 7.30 report that over 14,000 foals were born to the Australian racing industry in the last financial year alone, but only about 8,000 
were retired, which suggests to me in the just most basic definitions of sustainability that the racing industry is completely and utterly unsustainable. Now, have I understood that correctly? Well, yes. Well, the industry is not concerned about what happens to the racehorses once they're retired. They have a business model that relies on producing more horses than they really need, hoping that they will produce you know, the next Wings or Maccabi Diva or Black Caviar. And so a lot of these horses simply don't have the, the temperament for racing or don't have the ability. So we straight away, there's this uh, a huge number of horses estimated to be roughly a third of the race horses that are born in, into the industry, which is like about four to 5,000, that don't even make it to the racetrack. And uh, the racing industry up until relatively recently didn't even account for these horses. Um, and then we get horses that uh, the ones that do race are pushed to beyond their physical limits. They've got a, a jockey on their back wielding a whip. Then they use other devices like like the electric jiggers, um, like Darren Weir was caught using, but we believe it's a lot more widespread. All these things, uh, they're designed to push the horse to beyond their physical limits. And that's why we see race horses re- retired at a very young age, the average racing career for a racehorse is less than three years. Now, when you consider that a racehorse can live to 30 years, um, most of them are retired even before reaching maturity. And that's why we see roughly the same number of horses that are born into the industry leave the industry as well. The racing population um, of horses has, does, does not alter by, by much at all from year to year. It remains stagnant at around 31,000 racehorses. So there is a huge surplus of horses that leave the industry every year and the industry uh, up until now have not accounted for them and there's no retirement plan for them and that's why we've seen so many horses going to abattoirs and, and knackeries around Australia. There was talk in recent years about retirement plans and and these wonderful lives that they were going to assure horses. What happened to all those grand words? Yeah, well, once uh, wastage became uh, public knowledge probably about five or six years ago as a direct result of our jumps racing campaign uh, whereby um, these horses were, were, were falling over and dying before our very eyes and in, in very horrific ways. Um, the, the the jumps racing supporters were saying if it wasn't for jumps racing, these horses would be sent to the knackery. And then that raised the question, well, what happens to all those horses that don't go into jumps racing? And so then that exposed the wastage problem. Um, they, they did it to themselves. And of course, then we had to answer uh, to the questions that we were asked about these horses. And we, of course, were very aware of the problem. And um, and that led to the industry having to make some changes. And we pushed for, for certain things. In fact, in 2013, we put forward a rehoming and rehabilitation um, proposal to the racing industry. And uh, and we worked out ways of how funds could be raised and, and what they needed to do to ensure that every horse in the racing industry is given... A, a permanent home, given, given the opportunity to live out the rest of their lives. And um, whilst they, you know, seemed to uh, be kind of happy that we went to this trouble and, and, and looked like they were going to do something, I wasn't surprised at all that it basically stopped there. But what it did lead to was a, um, a retirement form, which 
which basically did nothing. All it did was give them the data that they wanted to say that we don't have a, a wastage problem. Uh, the form was basically um, a form that they filled out the owner's name and the horse's name, and you ticked a box to say where the horse went. These horses could not be traced, um, even if you wanted to trace them. Uh, they didn't account and still don't account for the um, many thousands of mares that leave the industry. Once they leave the breeding cycle, they're not accounted for, and there's about 4,000 of, of them that leave the industry every year. So there's this huge discrepancy of, of horses that um, the industry, uh, I, we believe, purposely do not want to know where they go. And as we found out, most of these horses end up in, in abattoirs and knackeries. When the racing industry talked about the, ret- the retirement plans, how did they propose of ever possibly retiring that number of horses every year? Well, what they did was they used the retirement form that said, according to their data, that less than half a percent were being sent to slaughter. That that represents about 40 or 50 horses, depending on which figures you use. And then they were saying that they had their own retirement plans that Racing New South Wales has and Racing Victoria has. And they were using it in a way as a PR exercise to, to give the impression that that um, all these horses were being rehomed. The, the reality is that the, the horses that they did rehome, we, we don't know the figures because they won't tell us, we're, but we have got some inside knowledge that it's somewhere between 50 and 100 horses that this their off-the-track program um, actually rehomes. And that's just a, a, a drop in the bucket. It really is not much at all. It's good that they're doing something. But they were using it for PR purposes to give the impression that that they don't have a wastage problem when when they they knew that they did have and they thought they were doing what they needed to do to keep the public on side. And that's why we had to keep ramping up our endeavours to, to expose the industry for, for what it is. And it's not hard to, to find this out. You just have to go to a sale yard and see the large numbers of thoroughbreds and standard breads that go through there. It's not hard to pick out who the kill buyers are and it's not hard to follow them and, and to see where they take them to. And they take them to knackeries and they take them to abattoirs. Uh, you can see them unloading often. It's not like it's hidden. Uh, they're often off, just off a highway and you can park on the side of the road and you can see these horses in the pens. You can see the brands. So it's not something that was hidden at all. Something that we knew, well, why is it that they didn't know or the claim that they didn't know? The reality is that you know they did know, but chose not to do anything about it, and now have been forced to do something because it's been exposed. I'm just blown away how they managed to justify it. How they managed to justify that they've rehomed this tiny percentage of horses, and that that's meant to represent the entire racing industry. I mean, it's a completely audacious claim. Then they've got away with it for so long until the CPR have come and exposed it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that um, it was audacious for for them to to make those claims. I, I can't believe that they've over the years how they've repeatedly claimed that their horses are being rehomed, uh, and we're repeatedly saying the the exact opposite. And there's such a huge disparity between our what we're both saying, and um, you know. I, I can't believe that they were that stupid in, in thinking that they could get away with it for much longer. 
And uh, as Peter Volandis, a couple of years ago when he's the um, CEO of Racing New South Wales, had claimed that um, no New South Wales racehorses would be sent to slaughter. Of course, we were we were so excited that he was making such a claim, but we knew that they couldn't do that. We knew it was, it was impossible. Yeah. And at the time, I repeatedly tried to contact him to arrange a meeting to see how we could work together, and he refused to talk to us. And, and that, to me, was a sure sign that this is all smoke and mirrors and there's no, this isn't going to result in saving many um, horses' lives at all. Yeah, I mean, a claim like that is um, bound for failure. Look, we, we've been monitoring the horses in New South Wales for quite some time and there's been no effort being made by Racing New South Wales to save these horses, even horses that have been there. We've had volunteers there. They've run Racing New South Wales and told them who these horses were and um, even then they still refused to, to come out. So they've, they've known about this the whole time and uh, I just have just been trying to give the impression that they're doing something when, from our point of view, they've done virtually nothing. Yeah, I think that became very clear on the 7.30 report. I think that was portrayed very, mm. very well. Now, the, the 7.30 report also spent a lot of time emphasising the winnings of the horses that were depicted being slaughtered in the abattoir. Why does it matter if a horse won a million dollars or won no dollars? Why, why does that have any bearing? Because surely... Winks or black caviar doesn't de- deserve a life spent on pasture more than a horse that limped home. No, um, I totally agree. I think the point of, of uh, highlighting the fact that a lot of those horses had made a lot of money was to highlight the fact that even the horses that do win a lot of money for their owners, even horses that have won millions of dollars, don't necessarily escape um, receiving a captive bolt to their head like those horses in, in the um, 7.30 story, that these horses are treated as a disposable object and once they lose the ability to earn money for their owners, they are worthless. Um, so while there are some uh, owners and trainers that do do the right thing, by and large, um, the majority of trainers need to move on their horses and, and the most expedient way of doing that is to ring up a kill buyer and, uh, and either get them to pick pick up the horses directly from the stables or they get dropped off to the kill buyer and that way they can um, make space for the for the new horses coming through um, you know this is an industry that's about making money that's its sole purpose is to make money and whilst they talk about spending 300 million dollars on horse welfare each year they don't tell you that the money that they're spending is actually spent on the horses to keep them running uh, for vet bills and and for medication um, for all those things that they need to keep the horse in its in its the best possible condition so so the horse can win races once they lose that ability these horses are tossed out and are at the mercy of the kill buyers and 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 you know some do get rehomed by people well-meaning people and rescue groups but um, they're, they're very small in number compared to the ones that are sent to slaughter is it possible that the ones that get sent off to get sold on and they go to auction for rehoming in good faith, is it possible that those owners really didn't know that they've been sold on again to a slaughterhouse? I think that there wouldn't be a single trainer that isn't aware that large numbers of horses are sent to slaughter. I think what was 
most shocking for the trainers and people in the industry was having to face the reality of of you know seeing actually seeing it happen on their television screens. Uh, it is horrific, and and I think that we've all heard stories about um, horses being you know becoming dog food and and going to the glue factory and those sorts of things. Um, so I, I don't believe for a moment that they weren't aware of it. It was just how graphic and how real it became for them. Um, it's also possible that um, people um, put their horses through sales and then it might be bought and sold two or three times before it's sent to the abattoir. Um, the problem is with thoroughbreds that, first of all, they're by their own nature, they can be flighty um, animals. And um, when they're being treated as they are, um, when they're being forced to race, when they're being forced to even go into the barriers, it's something that horses hate to do is to go into a barrier. And they're forced to do this. Um, uh, it, it takes uh, a kind of training that um, where, where they're forced, you know, in, in, you know, they use jiggers on them, um, they, they tie them up, they do all kinds of things. Uh, so the horse is basically... Um, doing what he has to do through learned helplessness, where he has no other choice, and um, and so when once they leave the industry um, and they, they find themselves in a sales pen, sometimes they even use tranquilizers to calm the horses down so they appear more suitable, and then they're taken home and then they're found to be crazy. I can tell you that um, through a friend of mine and myself, we've uh, rescued uh, many thoroughbreds. And we took on one of the one of the um, the worst thoroughbreds, or the one with the the worst reputation for being um, even even jockeys had trouble handling him, and he, he was described as being nasty and horrible. We managed to to get him through dubious means, <laughs> and um, and now after many years, he's one of the best horses you'd ever want to meet. And whilst the industry will say that they can't rehome them because they're, you know, they're not they're not um, re- rehabilitatable, if that's a word, <laughs> um, that uh, we would say that every racehorse, every horse, uh, given the, the correct love and care, can can become a, a, a beautiful animal, just just like you know people. Um, and in fact, I, I would even put horses above people in regards to the nature that they have. They have such a, a, a genuine, caring nature and, and uh, they're the, all they want to do is please you. And, and for them to be treated the way that we saw in, in, in the 7.30 story is, is absolutely horrific. And I'm just glad that it's being exposed and hopefully it'll lead to um, further changes for these horses. Absolutely. Now, the, the industry's regulation... Uh, explicitly states that the slaughter of healthy racehorses is not on. But, you know, it's become quite clear from that report that it's going on almost daily. And the industry management seemed to say that the dude on the 7.30 report, the head of Racing New South Wales, sort of indicates that it's just due to a few bad apples. But, yes, it's clearly it's not occasional incidents. It's pretty systematic. Can the racing industry be reasonably expected to police these regulation when it involves hundreds, if not thousands, of stables and race courses and other facilities right across the entire country? Like, what should be their applied level of responsibility for enforcement for this this vast, geographically dis- disparate 
industry? Um, I would say that the industry breeds these horses and they breed them for a profit. Without the racehorse, you wouldn't have a racing industry. The very minimum that they need to provide for these horses and every single one of them, not just the ones that win millions or hundreds of thousands, every single horse that's born into the racing industry, we would say um, uh, deserves the right to live out um, his or her life and not be condemned to slaughter. And the racing industry needs to find a way to make sure that that happens. It's, it's their industry, it's their problem, and they have to find a solution. Now, a solution which could help them uh, but could also harm them because it would expose the large numbers going to slaughter is uh, this national horse traceability scheme that's been proposed by the Greens. Uh, we've put forward a submission, as has uh, many racing industry bodies, um, in fact, I think there was over 50 submissions and apart from two, all of them supported this national traceability of horses. Uh, it's a no-brainer, really. It's, um, there are so many positives. And one of the positives would, would be, um, from an animal welfare perspective, is that every race, every horse, not just every racehorse, every horse could be um, identified by a microchip um, and, and therefore every owner could also be could be traced, so that if a horse is found in a paddock, starving, they could read the microchip, and the owner could be traced and charged. It would also mean that every thoroughbred um, in in horse racing could be also traced, and that once it gets to say, uh, once the horse gets to uh, say an abattoir, if the industry decides that it doesn't want any race horses to be sent to slaughter. The horse could be identified and the owner traced and charged if they were guilty of, of uh, taking the horse there. And um, uh, and then th- th- they would be uh, in a position to, to positively trace every single horse. The problem lies is with the funding for this. We're, the industry has has uh, claimed that they're now going to, or in Victoria at least, they're going to put $25 million over three years towards a, a retirement fund for these horses. Um, in, in the submission we made back in 2013, we identified that you would need about $200 million every year across Australia. That's a significant amount of money. Uh, but the, the racing industry turns over almost $20 billion just in betting turnover. Wow. So um, just 1% of that betting turnover would raise $200 million. And we think it's not unreasonable for the racing industry to put 1% of, of all betting, uh, betting turnover to go towards a retirement plan for these horses. And I don't think there'd be a single punter that would begrudge one cent out of every dollar they punt on, on saving the horses' lives that they go to bet on. Um, and, yeah, we, we put that to them back in 2013, and I hope that it's still on the table, but they do need to spend a significantly more um, than what they've um, allocated. And even then, we think that that $25 million is really just a PR stunt to try to get people to go back to the races and, and downplay the problem that they have. Um, it's going to be our job to make sure that they um, stick to their word and, and at least do something, and then we'll be certainly... Um, monitoring progress, and we will not stop until yeah, every racehorse gets the the life that they deserve. 
the racing industry is sort of currently talks about this lifelong tracking of its horses, but um, as it stands, it seems that there's a very large reliance on the breeders and the trainers maintaining these accurate records of their horses in terms of whether they're being whether they're active or whether they're retired or and where they've been sold to and who to. And as I see it, that these failures to maintain the records seem to create something of a smokescreen to cover up some pretty nefarious activities. Would, is that fair to say? Well, the racing industry is actually really good at keeping records from when the horse is born to when the horse leaves the racing industry. You can look up any horse that's raced in the last 30 or 40 years and you, you know how many races the horses run, where they ran them, how much money they won, which stables they were at, even you know what veterinary attention they received in that time. But once that horse is retired, all of a sudden the traceability ends. And that's what the racing industry is saying now, that that is um, where their responsibility ends. We say, if you know that there are many, many thousands of racehorses that are ending up in places like this, then you know that you're creating a problem and not doing anything about it and that it is your responsibility from when the horse is retired to ensure that it does go, the horse does go to uh, a proper home and not just a sale yard or, or even directly to slaughter, that they have a responsibility to ensure that, that the horse has been permanently rehomed and not just a, a home for, for, for perhaps a month or two and then gets sent to slaughter. There was an instance on the 7.30 report of a horse that was slaughtered that was still rated as active. Was that a one-off, a truly a one-off incident? It was. Is that not representative? Well, there's many horses in that story, and there's many more horses that um, are listed as as active. So even their own record keeping uh, is not that accurate. So the record keeping system is good, but it's not being maintained. That's right. That's okay. correct. Now let's just have a break, Elio. You've got a track to debut here today so this is where you're going to hear it first can you tell us about this track we're going to play it's got a pretty special backstory i think um this um what you're about to listen to i don't know what genre it applies to i think it's created its own genre it was created less than three days ago when i asked a friend of mine to help me with um recording some of the chants that we do um at the races um, because after you do it, after an hour or two, you kind of get a very dry throat and it kind of hurts. So I asked him if he could give me a bit of a hand, and so he came around and he got out his computer and starts playing around with it, and he's, he's telling me to just, you know, say, say the chance into the microphone, which I did, and then he started doing some himself, and I wondered what he was doing, and then he said, oh, look, I might put a bit of a beat to this. It might sound better. It might be more appealing. And so he did that, and it did sound a bit better, and then he started doing some other funky things with it. And um, I wondered where this was going. And then it got to about dinner time, and I said, let's go and grab a bite to eat, which we did. And he said, look, leave it with me. Tomorrow morning I'll have something um, for you to listen to. So the next morning I, I, I got up, and sure enough, there was my phone there, and it was a message from him, him and he said, listen to this. And um, and I did, and and uh, I'll, I'll just leave it to to you guys to listen to it and see what you think. Okay, so give us the give us the name. What's it, what's the name of this track? Um, the the track's called 
You Bet They Die. Awesome. And it's by Paul Nicholson. So let's go with You Bet They Die and we'll come back and we'll talk some more with Elio. If you care about animals, perhaps you shouldn't be going to the races. If you care about animals, you definitely shouldn't be going to the races. You lose your money, they lose their lives. You lose your money, they lose their lives. Horse racing is nothing more than an abattoir with a winning post. There is no retirement plan. The racing industry can't afford a retirement plan. The sport of kings can't afford a retirement plan. There is no retirement plan. There is no retirement plan. There is no retirement plan. The resource is rewarded with a 50 cent board to the head. Cruel, barbaric, outdated. Cruel, barbaric, outdated. Cruel, barbaric, outdated. Jockeys have a retirement plan. Trainers have a retirement plan. Strappers have a retirement plan. But the racehorse gets a 50 cent bullet to the head. They can afford to build stadiums they can't fill, but they can't afford a retirement plan. They can afford to pay celebrities to attend the races, but they can't afford a retirement plan. It's cruel, barbaric and outdated. It's cruel, barbaric and outdated. It's cruel, it's barbaric it's outdated. The resource is rewarded with a 50 cent board to the head. Jockeys have a retirement plan. Trainers have a retirement plan. Strappers have a retirement plan. The racehorse gets a 50 cent bullet to the head. Horse racing is nothing more than an abattoir with a winning post. There is no retirement plan. The racing industry can't afford a retirement plan. The sport of kings can't afford a retirement plan. Strappers have a retirement plan. The racehorse gets a 50 cent bullet to the head. Cruel, barbaric, outdated. Cruel, barbaric, Outdated. Cruel, barbaric, outdated. The racehorse gets a 50 cent bullet to the head. 
Jockeys have a retirement plan. Trainers have a retirement plan. Strappers have a retirement plan. But the racehorse gets a 50-cent bullet to the head. They breed them, they train them, they race them. And then they send them to the knackery. That's the Racing Industries Recycling Program. The next time you see your racehorse might be in the pit food aisle of your local supermarket. Today's winners, tomorrow's doggy dinners. No horse should be a disposable object. No horse is a disposable object. Used, abused and sent to slaughter. Used, abused and sent to slaughter. Used, abused and sent to slaughter. Animal abusers and total losers. This is no way to treat your athletes. Horse racing hills. They don't care about the horses. All they care about is the money. Then they send them to the knackery. Then they send them to the knackery. Jockeys choose, horses don't. Racing hills. Jockeys choose, horses don't. Horse racing hills. You bet. They die. Horse racing hills. It's all about the glory. It's all about the fame. Horse racing hills. They don't care about the horses. All they care about is the money. Horse racing hills. Then they send them to the knackery. Horse racing hills. Get a job. Get a life. What about the starving children in Africa? How many racehorses have you saved? You don't know what you're talking about. Go hug a tree. We love our horses. We do. If we shut down the racing industry, are you going to look after them? Are you going to feed my horses if they ban horse racing? You wouldn't know a horse's head from a horse's ass. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. 
a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio and that last track you heard was You Bet They Die and that was by Paul Nicholson and that's the debut of that track just created last week. You heard it here first. So we're talking with Elio Gelotto from the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses about the damning revelations that came out about the wastage of the racehorses in abattoirs in, from, in the Australian racing industry. It was screened on the 7.30 report last well, last month. Now, I'm wondering about the footage that came out in that um, episode of the 7.30 report. It was horrifying. And I'm looking at that method of slaughter and thinking, good Lord, is that within the law? Can you tell me, is that a legal way of slaughtering a horse? Uh, yes, the, me- the method in which the way the horses were killed is is legal, uh, which is with a captive bolt gun, and basically that puts a, a rod into the brain of the horse, and it's supposed to kill the horse the very first time. But as was demonstrated in the seven thirty story, that um, in many instances the horse needs a second, third, or even a fourth captive bolt, and that's when you see the horse struggling around on the ground and. No doubt in a lot of pain, uh, but uh, there, there is an acceptable um, uh, amount of times for, for the, the, uh, the killer to or the kill, the, the abattoir worker to, to um, kill the horse with a second or a third captive bolt, and I think it's rough to 10%. Uh, we think it's totally unacceptable that they need to find a way that, that the horse is killed instantaneously every single time. Um, it just happened too many times. Um, uh, I think in, in in some days it was was uh, up to about fifteen percent, and it's totally unacceptable. What about the behaviour of the abattoir workers? Because there was footage showing, I mean, clearly horrible cruelty being carried out to those horses. There was um, electric shocks. There was beatings. There was kickings. There was kicking their head. Um, beating them with polypipe, um, it was it was hideous behaviour. Do you think any of that footage um, might be used to charge those workers for cruelty? I believe that's being investigated, and certainly what we saw in the seven thirty story was horrific and totally unacceptable. Especially when you consider that that these poor animals uh, are there. Um, not by their own choosing. They are frightened animals. And horses of all animals are very compliant animals. And it was just totally unnecessary and it beggars belief why why they behaved in that way. And uh, we hope that um, that the police investigate it and, and, and that uh, it, it, it's not to continue. But I would say that these horses don't deserve to be there in the first place. That this is the racing industry and, and a lot of other horse industries that breed too many horses and what they need to do is just to reduce the number uh, so that they don't need to send so many to slaughter. Uh, it's simply unacceptable just to be breeding these animals because for, for horse racing or for whatever other reason. 
and um, and that's why we need this national tra- traceability for horses to ensure that these horses can be protected and not sent to slaughter. Is this going on also with harness racing? Well, the, the harness racing industry has the same business model. It's, it's exactly the same. It's smaller than, than thoroughbred racing, uh, but they also rely on breeding. In fact, there's those that would say that harness racing is actually worse than thoroughbred racing. But it is a smaller industry, and uh, and they certainly breed way too many horses as well. And it's repeated again with the greyhounds, I, th- I believe, with overbreeding of greyhounds, so large numbers of puppies, and then wastage occurring. Yeah, exactly the same thing happens with our greyhounds, that, um, uh, you know, a litter of greyhounds could be 10, and uh, there might be one or two that they consider to be uh, suitable for racing, and what happens to the rest of them, they don't account for them. So this, all, all the racing industries have uh, adopt the same principle, that they breed as many as they think they need to produce the, the desired number of competing racehorses, and they dispose of the rest. Now, perhaps the most shocking moment for me in that whole 7.30 report show was when it revealed the link between the horse abattoirs and the greyhound industry. Can you please expand for us the link between these two industries? Yeah, well, it's a symbiotic relationship that uh, these industries have with each other, that one industry needs to dispose of their unwanted horses and the greyhound industry needs to feed high-protein meat to, to, their, to their dogs. And so uh, we have these knackeries around Australia that produce pet food and some of the, their main um, clients, the ones that, that uh, buy the most amount of meat, are greyhound trainers that uh, uh, feed horses to, to their greyhounds. Is that horse meat making its way to just the general pet food stores as well, where just the members of the general public go and buy fresh meat for their um, cats and dogs? Is it something that maybe is being horse meat is being labelled as something else? Well, definitely there are pet food shops that are selling horse meat uh, for pet food. and Labelled as horse meat? Uh, I, I can't, I don't know that, uh, whether they have uh, or not. Um, but certainly they are selling horse meat for pet food. It's perfectly legal. Um, it's just something that's never really discussed. It's uh, this um, part of the racing industry that they would prefer be kept undercover, and um, now they're having to face the reality of, of um, the consequences of, of trying to hide this problem. Where does the bulk of the horse meat go? Well, there's the abattoir that... Uh, in Queensland, exports their horse meat to Europe, um, mainly France, Belgium, Italy, Switzerland, um, and also in Japan and Russia, where they eat uh, horse meat for it's for human consumption. Um, the knackeries kill their horses for for pet food, and uh, and that could be yeah, like like. We just said um, for greyhounds or domestic pets or even the zoos as well. The zoos buy a, a lot of uh, meat for their carnivorous animals. Australian zoos? Yes. Now, I can't help think that um, that the ABC show, the 7.30 report, has been something of a boon for how CPR, the Coalition for Protection of Racehorses, is regarded. Because for the typical detractor who thinks that 
CPR is just, you know, a bunch of protesting buzzkills. It must have been a bit of a shock to see the extent and the gravity of the surveillance that was being carried out and at significant personal risk too. Do you think that's going to actually hold you in good stead in the future, that it's raised your reputation somewhat? Um, Look, it probably has in the eyes of the public, but I think all animal activists are totally committed to what they do, and certainly our people are, um, and and as are you know every single activist that's out there trying to expose the animal exploitation that is is occurring, and um, I, I think that um, the general public now are, are aware that you will not stop animal activists from exposing the truth, um, and I really you know admire those people that undertake that work, often at their own financial cost and also uh, at the risk of of their own um, safety. Um, But it's work that needs to be done and and these people need to be applauded for what they do um, in trying to save the lives of of these innocent animals that uh, are at the mercy of, of humans. There seems to have been some really big step forwards made this year following that ABC broadcast, there's been celebrities pulling out of their cup appearances and there's been some pubs and cinemas around the country boycotting racing-related events, which has been fantastic. So what's the way forward now, Elio? Like, do you, are you targeting racetrack attendees or are you at, uh, targeting the sponsors of these big racing events or is it a bit of everything? Well... We're doing everything we possibly can. So we're targeting sponsors, we're targeting race goers. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, social media is playing a huge role in in exposing the reality of of what happens to horses, but also what happens to all animals. And um, I think we we should be excited about where the, the animal rights movement is is heading. Um, but certainly in terms of um, what we are doing, we do everything we possibly can. We write to politicians. We uh, we wrote, as we target our, the sponsors, and it's been great that uh, a lot of sponsors are now pulling out, and we expect that to continue. Excellent. Now, the the average Melbourne Cup attendee, do, do you think they actually care about the racehorses? And I don't mean in terms of the compassion because everybody likes to think they care about animals, but do they care about the racehorses at the event? Because I'd imagine that half of the attendees at the Melbourne Cup are two-munted in the car park to even see a racehorse that day. How do you kind of reach them in terms of caring about the horses at the event that they might not even barely be aware of? Look, I think that we're not going to get to everybody, but we don't need to get to everybody. I think we'll reach a tipping point where where horse racing will become that unpopular that people won't even want to go. So I, I think that um, we, we're seeing up to the cup events being held around the country. There's a lot this year. Yeah, there is. And, um, and there's a lot that we don't even know about. There's a lot that register on our website and we ask if anyone is holding and up to the Cup event to register it so that we can spread the word. Um, so we're seeing that the Melbourne Cup Day is is going to be, you know, we hope it's going to be a day where we celebrate and up to the Cup, and it's a day that we celebrate and respect animals and use it as a day that we all get together and um, and perhaps even raise, raise funds for a, for a charity that's dear to them, an animal charity that's dear to them. 
because uh, all these charities are often, you know, on running on a shoestring budget. And and I think it's exciting that we are turning the Cup, uh, Melbourne Cup Day on its head and making it a day where we can have that fun and you can wear your silly fascinator if you want and have a glass or two of champagne and, and it can be a day that we celebrate animals, not exploit them. You know, I've got a bit of a confession because a long time ago, um, not as long as I'd like it to be, but about for 15 years ago, I was in a racehorse syndicate and I, you know, it was before I knew better. It was a... Um, Oh, it's even just horrible to think about. But uh, I was with an ex-boyfriend. We these seemed like a fun idea, and we bought into a syndicate. And now, after watching the seven thirty report, my blood runs cold. And I think, what might have happened to this dear horse that 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 I went, um, I met several times, and as a, a lovely animal, a, a very lovely animal. And um, and I hate to think what the truth is, and um. And it was, you know, it wasn't many years after that that I woke up to the exploitation of animals and, and I became vegan. And I wonder, do you meet many people that have gone from being a race goer, you know, cheering at the side of the track, you know, in, in all that ridiculousness of uh, race festivals to becoming an animal activist? Because, I mean, I, I know I've... I've done it, and I'm just wondering, are there a lot of other people who are making those connections? Um, yeah, well, absolutely. We've had lots of people contact us, and we've even had two trainers contact us who uh, they were only small trainers. Well, I think one had three horses at the time, another one had two. And it was it was odd because it was around about within a month of each other that they contacted us and actually told us that they were giving up horse racing, that everything that we were saying um, is, 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 is the truth. So we've even had trainers call us up and say that, um, you know, how horrible an industry it was. And we've had lots of people who had shares in a, in a horse and, and do the same thing and actually ring up the trainers and, and demand to know what happened to their horse that was rehomed. And not one of them got a solid answer from, from the trainer. Because that's what they do. The trainers will tell um, the syndicate that um, leave it to me. I'll find a I'll find a home for him, and um, and then if you ask the trainer a few months later, you'll say, oh yeah, yeah, he's doing well. But if you really quiz them, um, in all likelihood, the horse has been sent to slaughter. And and we think that this is how the industry operates. It's it's they've got a, a huge PR machine that wants us to think that it's all fun and. And, and it's glamorous, and you've got celebrities going to the races. But for the horses, it's a very different, um, very different situation. And um, people get sucked into, uh, you know, the, the hype of horse racing. And and I think slowly the the truth is coming out, and and people are, are turning off horse racing. And um, I never thought I'd, I'd think this ten years ago when we started, but I, I can now see the day where horse racing. It will, will will cease to exist, and it'll be seen as a um, a bad reflection of humanity um, from a from a, a past that we'd rather forget. It won't be a day too soon. What can we do to help the cause? Look, there's lots that people can do, uh, ranging from volunteering for CPR, or if that's not your thing, you you might want to um, go to our website, and there's a take action tab 
where there's a list of different possibilities there from writing to your member of parliament or writing to sponsors or perhaps you have a skill that you know you might be able to help out even might be you know you might be a graphic designer um, there's lots that you can do uh, you can if it's your thing you can come to our demonstrations they're always peaceful and um, uh, they, 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 they've never been violent and we I think it's a really good thing to do um, before I started before I went to my first protest I, I was dubious about attending because I really didn't think it was something that I wanted to do and then here I am now going to 20 or 30 demonstrations a year um, yelling out through a, a PA system as loudly as I can to get the message across and and I think it's um, it, it's it, people it, it does make a difference um, attending demonstrations and um, yeah it's it's um, something that I um, I think has made a, a huge impact in in our case with the racing industry but if it's not your thing uh, just go to our take action uh, tab on, on our website horseracingkills.com and uh, by all means give us a call if you've got any questions Thanks Elio that's all the time we've got today. Um, you've been listening to Elio Chilotto from the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses talking about the dark secret of the Australian racehorse industry and the ABC's 7.30 report story that came out last month about this very issue of thousands of racehorses ending up in abattoirs. You can follow us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter. You can also email us at info at freedom of species. Org. And I'm going to leave you with one more song, and that is uh, Harmony Hall by Vampire Weekend. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks to Elio Chilotto, and we'll see you next week. Beneath these velvet gloves, our hearts 
3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. On sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
Kajigurujan. Kanderman. This is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yaru country. And it's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. Where I belong You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.